I think we've been lucky in many ways because our challenge attracts people from all corners of the globe. Given it's very often in interviews that we have people saying that, you know, immediately when I saw this, I thought, when are you coming to Bangladesh or when are you coming to this country? And 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 they can totally identify with this with the, with the challenge. So I think that we have grown quite organically in a very, very diverse way and are actually at a super good level of diversity and inclusion in our company. It, it's all about the people <laughs> uh, and it's all about the relationships and doing your best to understand and respect each other even if you don't share opinions or beliefs you still have to listen and respect the other person and have a very low tolerance for unwanted behavior or, or to just be very clear about these are our expectations these are this is how we relate to each other in the workplace those certain behaviors are not acceptable and others are very encouraged and that just has to be very clear and something you talk about welcome to the business developer podcast with sujay a source of inspiration for business developers by listening to this podcast you may gain some ideas inspirations or food for thought towards your own journey of developing your business successfully now or in the near future thanks to each one of you who liked the new year 2021 special episode wherein we focused on the unlearnings shared by the guest in 2020 as we plan to execute on our new year resolutions for 2021 one important point we have to remember more often than not for us to make space for new learnings we need to make an effort to unlearn some of our past learnings and unlearning is very difficult as those may have become part of us as habits in this episode we shall learn from the journey of Caroline Veronius CEO and founder of Adresia and also its chief technology officer Maria Schedel so without further ado please join me in welcoming our guests Caroline and Maria Hello Caroline and Maria welcome to the business developer podcast thanks for taking out time to join this episode both of you Thank you so much it's great being here Yes thank you Great you know we all need to learn new things this is the first time I am actually having two guests in the episode so you are the first one to do that <laughs> We always come as a pair you know <laughs> <laughs> That's great cool. So Maria and uh, Caroline just to give you a brief about this objective about this podcast it is to serve as a source of inspiration for business developers through which they could make a difference in their lives you know who are working hard to develop their business. So to get started uh, Caroline and Maria if you do not mind can you share with our listeners little bit about yourself and the story of your life Caroline if you can go ahead. Absolutely. I guess I could say this that I'm a bit of a jack of all trades in the sense that I've always been super interesting in almost everything that works and doesn't work. I got quite a curious mind and uh, you could probably see that a bit in my background for example where I studied a bachelor in business modern languages and marketing. I worked for many years within telecom even first line technical support. And after that I did a masters in environment and development politics and human rights. So I kind of have that broad interest of how the world should sort of come together and work. And I always had a bit of a challenge with things that don't work, especially if there are systemic problems uh, in society and I would like to sort of fix them and, and tightening the nuts and bolts in the machinery so to speak. 
after my studies, I actually got a dream job in the sense that I was employed at a center at KTH that was called SPIDER, a Swedish program for ICT in developing regions, which meant that I could actually combine all the things that I was interested in, business, human development, environment, etc., as well as telecom and technology. And it was during uh, working with eHealth Solutions that we discovered some challenges in actually following up the immunization process of children that did not have an identification or an address. And so we solved it quite well for this challenge. But I was left with this itch that we cannot make an address solution for one single use case. It has to be a platform for society. And so I went into KTH Innovation, an incubator at KTH, and started working on that. And after a little while, I was fortunate almost four years ago to actually meet with Maria and start developing that together. So maybe I'll hand over to you, Maria. Sure. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Yes, a little thing about me then. I have a background in computational linguistics, which is how you develop software that processes natural languages like English or French or Swedish. For most of my career, that meant that I worked in science fiction. It means that people were always a bit curious about what does human languages have to do with computers? But nowadays, of course, people are more familiar with technologies like, well, Google search is the obvious the first one that is a very, it's obviously language understanding going on there. Most of my working life, I've always sort of ended up in product development. That's what interests me most. I love taking difficult, impossible ideas to the market and to the users. So I'm the happiest when I see that the ideas I had actually take form and make some impact in people's lives. And when we met, Caroline explained the idea of the problem she wanted to solve. And I thought it sounded impossible and wonderful at the same time. So that's where we, we started together. Wow, that's so interesting. And Caroline, you talked about how you really want to fix things that doesn't work. I think we need lots of people like you in this world, right? <laughs> and, and then you meeting up with Maria, the science fiction world, working on computational linguistics. It seems you were made for each other to come into what you are doing, right? Yes, I actually think so. I would say that it was a bit of a match made in heaven. Of course, that we, uh, we didn't know each other at the time, and we have worked a lot to sort of become as, as tight and strong as we are today. But we could immediately see. Uh, when I met with Maria, I had explained this challenge and what I was working on many, many times. And I think she was the first one that just said, oh, yes, but then we could do this and then we could do that. And what if we do that? And she just completely dove into the challenge with like the, the kind of mindset that, of course, we can change this and solve this. Can you tell us if you remember how many years exactly back did you both meet? Um, I believe it was four years ago now in 2016. Uh, so in November 2016. And I believe, you know, there are some interesting stories or anecdotes when two people meet, like when you say match made in heaven. <laughs> Do you have some story? How exactly did you both get together? Yeah, we do. We have somebody who's very guilty in this uh, <laughs> uh, relationship, I would say. <laughs> yeah, my husband. <laughs> you can tell the question. It's a quite sweet story. You tell it. Yes, actually, um, I know Maria's husband since before. Okay. Because we have been working with an international network called EIT Digital. And um, when I had this idea, I thought, who do I need on board as an advisor and uh, as a support? Because I knew quite early on that this is not something you solve on your own. You have to take uh, support and you need to surround yourself with the right advisors. Mm. And so I thought, immediately thought of Maria's husband, who is a professor. 
and Katie Hachin was also um, uh, in the network. And uh, when I called him up, he said, "Great, I want to talk to you about something because I, I want your I want you on board with the with something." And I was like, "Well, I want you on board on something." <laughs> uh, and we had lunch, and it turned out that I was. Um, I got my way and I got him on board as an advisor, early on advisor. And uh, after a few months, I believe he told Maria about this and said that I, I think you should meet. Mm. And so we did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I told you there's always a story behind two people meeting up, you know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's great. So both of you met. Thanks, Evan, you met. It, and uh, you're trying to solve some problem that you talked about regarding the addresses and etc so can you explain that little bit further what, what exactly is this what is the purpose behind what you are doing absolutely so i did tell you a little bit about the vaccination challenges and what happened was that when we were doing the vaccination and immunization of children through a sort of e health platform one of the most important thing is that children come back for vaccination at the right time and of course the right child and the right vaccination and that's very difficult when you don't have IDs or, or addresses to really identify the right child. And we did solve that quite well for that solution. But I then started thinking that this cannot be the only problem. And I started realizing that even though I've been traveling in countries like Uganda and uh, in Latin America as well, and, and even Afghanistan for many, many years, I have not thought about the fact that almost every time I spend one or two hours to reach a destination that should take 20, 30 minutes, and I'm always working, I use the sort of car as my office because it takes such a long time to get places. But I, I always kind of acted as in when in Rome, do as the Roman does. And I didn't really question it much. But the more I began digging into this, I realized that the address challenge was very, very much bigger than I thought. In fact, 4 billion people lack an address. And that means that they have a hard time accessing banking, insurance, home delivery, or even emergency services if they should so require. And that, of course, to me, who don't really like systemic status quo challenges exist, mm. uh, I couldn't help myself by beginning to dig away uh, on that. And that's kind of where Adressia started with a huge challenge. And then I don't know if you remember, Maria, but we talked a lot about like what are the foundations for like developing such a service. Yes. And we based it around two pillars that was very important to us, that uh, we believe it's a civil right to have an address, so it has to be free for individuals. And we have to protect the privacy of the individuals at all costs. Yeah. So the individual always have to be in charge of their address data, given that it has been misused so many times in the past in genocides and civil wars, etc. That's really a big challenge to keep up to it. So Maria, then maybe hearing from you, what is your perspective about this journey as you have started, as Caroline approached you? What was your side of the coin, if you can share a little bit about how you saw this situation. At first, I was really taken with the scope that it was actually 4 billion people. And it took me some time to realize. I've traveled uh, in, in many places and I've, of course, noticed that addressing is often not as well developed as I was used to from Sweden. But it wasn't until we sort of dug deeper that I realized how big it is and that it impacts so many aspects of a person's life that it can be hard to get access to banking. It's hard to buy things online if you don't have digital banking. And home delivery is a challenge, to say the least, if there's no easy way to direct people to your house. So all of it doesn't, I mean, it's not just emergency services or getting access to medical care when you need it. It's it's the little things like having food delivered to your house or, or spending all of that, like Caroline mentioned, all of that time in a car, driving around, looking for places. 
And it was when we were, we did extensive research. We made two really long journeys to East Africa with like a year in between, two or three weeks each time. And we met with so many people and we showed our prototypes and, and got the confirmation that this is actually something that people understand. And this is, this is, they want it immediately. We have, when we, as Caroline said before, when we've explained it to people here, they don't always get it. They're like, what's the problem? Why is, why are addresses even an issue? Because. Don't we have email? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, or a GPS point. Isn't a GPS point enough? That, that one we get a lot. So when, when we were there, that was sort of when I really got it, when I understood that, okay, this is, this is actually a real, real big problem. And it's, we can do something. We can really make a difference. We can, and it, it's not cutting edge technology. It's really simple solutions that just bring value. And when you, when you start with something like this, so first you have that challenge, the idea, and then you try it out and you, you test it and you make your prototypes and you iterate and you try and find, like, shoot it down and find the holes in it to see <laughs> where the buckets leak and to try to plug those and to see, okay, is it, should it be like this or did we understand that correctly? And it's been a fantastic learning journey in that sense that we have had the opportunity to try our, out our ideas. Absolutely. If I can then dig deeper into it, I believe what you are then trying to do listening to you was bringing enough transformational change rather than just an incremental change, right? Absolutely. And when you try to bring up transformation change, you will have more significant roadblocks, question marks. How did you go about convincing your stakeholder base that, yes, this is what needs to be done and your solution will be able to help support bringing that transformation change? One of the first things that people said was that this, especially here in, in Sweden, was that, well, that should be something that the government does. Mm. An addressing system shouldn't be a company or a foundation or an NGO. It should be, be the government. And we sort of realized that it's going to take forever if we wait for that, or at least <laughs> we don't have that time. And there is something we can do now. And if the end users own their own data, there's not really a change. I mean, we can do this while uh, governments get everything in order and then they can do map surveys and land, create new maps and upload them digitally if they like. But we can do something even if that isn't in place yet. Absolutely. And I think also what we realize is that we don't want to replace normal infrastructure, but actually developing addressing system and implementing them and especially keeping them up to date. It's a very cumbersome process. And many times it requires four or five or even seven different government agencies to be in consensus, to work out the processes, who's the owner and so on. And it takes a lot of time. And very often it ends us up with projects and islands of addressing. So often there are government projects in collaboration with big donors to do the city or three big cities. But this also means that it's super hard for those in the cities to communicate around addressing with those outside or in informal settlements, given that they don't have the same understanding of what an address is. So it's very hard to actually get the understanding and the use up for that new system. And here's also where we because we are building on top of available technology like digital maps and uh, GPS coordinates and, and also including the actual addressing infrastructure that is available, if it is, we can bridge these gaps with our application. And that means that we actually strengthen uh, the kind of in 
initiatives of the government and help people learn how to use them. Mm. So we are that kind of service that we fill a gap, but we also connect uh, the dots. And what I feel listening to you is that you kind of inverted the pyramid rather than just looking for the government and waiting for the government to do that, flip it over and let the users bring in user generated content, right? Their address, which they own, right? And they control. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And leveraging the existing infrastructure. Yeah. But you are still running it as a business, right? How did you bring in the business and the commercial aspect of it that you need to convert it into a profitable business or you are not thinking that way? Actually, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. I come from the not-for-profit sector and I have worked, uh, well, I was employed by the university. I was part of this um, government-funded initiative to support the development of ICTs in, in emerging markets. So, of course, the first question I ask me is, are there donors that could help helping us with this? But I realized quite quickly when I, when I saw that it was 4 billion people we're talking about and the global challenge, and actually a challenge that exists even in very well-developed countries, in the countryside and on the islands and so on. So I understood quite quickly that it had to be a business solution in order to actually develop a business that could grow and sustain itself and have a global reach. And that's also why I contacted, it was very natural for me since I was employed by KTH to go into KTH Innovation to get that kind of business support to really find the business model around this because there are a lot of challenges. We are currently working in Uganda and Rwanda and we need to find models that work in those places where it's quite different from here. The budgetary cycles are shorter. There's lots of things that are shorter and, and works maybe a bit more ad hoc and so on. So, so we spent a lot of time developing business model uh, very early on. And have you nailed it right now? That Have you been able to arrive at what business model will help you? <laughs> it's a work in progress, I would say. But I think we have a very good idea. Of, uh, or like we, I mean, we are up and running and we are selling. But of course, we will always be adjusting it and meeting the demands of the market and fine-tuning it, I would say. But the, I would say the basics and the core is definitely in place. Yeah. And it is quite interesting because we developed that over three years ago and it still flies, I would say. We just actually launched Addressing as a Service, which is our business solution this year in Uganda and Rwanda. And, and the business model seems to work. Of course, it has not been validated over and over and over again, and we are going to tweak it and so on, but, but it works. Thanks a lot for sharing those things. I think it was very interesting really watching how you quickly scale it up and provide more benefits to places and areas. Like I was really amazed by the number of 4 billion people. You will not, no one will expect, as Maria also said, that oh, there are 4 billion people who do not have an address. That's so much unthinkable, right? Yes. Mm. Every other person on the planet. Yeah, every <laughs> other person on the planet. That's true. It's such a mind-boggling or a shocking number, right? So with that, Caroline and Maria, I want to delve into one aspect of business development or business development journey is the topic of diversity. We see and we hear this lot of focus on building up a diverse team for growing up a business. What's your thoughts about the topic of diversity here, Caroline and Maria? Yeah, to us, it comes quite naturally because we are working globally around the world. And of course, we need to have people from all over the world working with us. I think we've been lucky in many ways because our challenge attracts people from all corners of the globe, given it's very often in interviews that we have people saying that, you know, immediately when I saw this, I thought, 
when are you coming to Bangladesh or when are you coming to this country? And, and, and they can totally identify with the, with the, with the challenge. Yeah. So I think that we have grown quite organically in a very, very diverse way and are actually at a super good level of diversity and inclusion in our company. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we have, what is it, 12 nationalities and the board is 50% men, 50% women. Product development is 50% men, 50% women overall in the company. What is it? Uh, it's actually 57% women and 43% men. And can you share some of the benefits that you see with 12 nationalities being part of it? And I believe, as you said, it's an organically you got the diversity yeah. thing because the problem is so diverse mm. and every market you get in you. So diversity will come natural to your business. Yeah. But diversity brings in different cultures, different notions. How do you handle the diversity to channelize into the common goal of your organization? So what challenges or benefits you have seen with diversity, if you can share something? I mean, I think that one of the most important things for a product like ours that is global is that we cannot sit in our Swedish bubble and think that we have the, all the answers, but they are constantly tested in our organization every day and questioned and, uh, and challenged so that we can actually build the best possible product that will fly globally. But I, I also think that we work really hard on not just inclusion, but actually on developing the team, the team spirits. And, and, and I think this year has been particularly interesting because we have onboarded 20 people completely digitally. Mm. So we have had to learn to really, really build uh, strong teams without even meeting in person once. Mm. Uh, and that has been, it's actually, it's been a, a big challenge to start with, but it has also really leaped from the development, I think, in people management in Adresia and how we, how we manage uh, staff and, uh, and so on. So yeah. I, I think it's been a blessing for us in many ways. Yes, and, and you asked before, Sujay, what, what, what the benefit is of diversity and what the challenge can be. And it, it's all about the people. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all about the relationships and doing your best to understand and respect each other. Even if you don't share opinions or beliefs, you still have to listen and respect the other person and have a very low tolerance for unwanted behavior or, or to just be very clear about these are our expectations. Yeah. These are, this is how we relate to each other in the workplace. Those certain behaviors are not acceptable and others are very encouraged. And that just has to be very clear and something you talk about. Mm. You can't just assume that uh, as you do when you have a a more uniform background that, that people just take things for granted. But there are cultural differences and sometimes you just have to actually put them on the table and say, okay, I think I did something that was weird to you. Uh, was it? And then you take it from there. So just listening and and being respectful and curious is takes you a very long way, I think. Yeah. But from then another on the positive side, uh, because I believe people with diverse background, diverse nationalities, come out with different ideas or way of doing things, which if you can channelize, then you're actually doing things multi times better. Yeah. Did you see such benefits coming into your execution? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Without a doubt. I think so. And, and like I said, if you're building a global product, it's supposed to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. That is just not one nationality. You need to have the perspectives and understand the constraints in different markets. And, but also, like, uh, you know, we are, we are people from different walks of lives. Uh, different professional backgrounds, different upbringings, and so on. So, 
So we bring those different perspectives to the table. Mm. And it also, I have to say also that it's just fun. It is, that's another thing. It's just fun to, to have colleagues from all over the world. And uh, when we have more sort of fun and relaxing team get-togethers, even if they are digital and sharing stories from, from our past or fun things that happened to us, mm. we learn so much about the world and each other. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, I have to say. Yeah. And not to mention the food, the l- lunchtime and when people open their lunch boxes is amazing. Like there's food from everywhere and it, it's, yeah, get lots inspiration yeah that's true that's true but maybe on the flip side you might always find someone is on vacation because some festival is going on some part of the world exactly that is always (laughs) the time yeah it's always festivals sometimes uh, in the addressier world absolutely (laughs) but that also means that there's uh, nearly always someone working which is also has its benefit so it's both yeah true yeah very much very much so i think with the present world, as you talked about, you have onboarded people virtually, digitally. We are becoming more virtual world. I believe that's a key asset that you will have in Adresia of already being working into that kind of a multicultural, diverse, global organization rather than being forced into doing that. Absolutely. So if you harness that really well, I think that could be your key differentiator, right? Because finally, the people are the key differentiator of how you can develop your business. Yeah, I think so too. So as we move forward in this episode, Caroline and uh, Maria take you to a little bit more difficult question. As you talked about, you have learned so many things in a journey and learning is important. But I believe there is more difficult part to it is about unlearning because unlearning is about something which is already ingrained into our character, into our belief. So it's very difficult to also drop things, habits and practices I would really be interested and excited to hear your unlearning stories. What have you unlearned over the last maybe three, four years or whenever? If both of you can share, that will be really interesting for me to listen. Yes. Uh, when you put it like that, I think that I have unlearned not to take things so much to heart and understand in a fast-paced environment uh, where we have a really clear purpose of what we're doing, that maybe it's not for everyone and maybe not everyone sees what you see and that that is okay. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out. You have to find the people who are as passionate about it as you are and who wants to really succeed. I think that in the beginning, you're so passionate about your baby, the, the business that is growing, that it hurts a little, that people can't see it. But I have, I have really unlearned to take that to heart and even kind of feel that that is good. Because I really want to, to know quite quickly to suss out if people are, are the ones that should be on board. That comes with everything, with, with the board, with investors, with staff, with colleagues, partners, advisors, and so on. But, but it's, it's okay that we don't think the same, uh, I think. And I think also another thing, uh, if I can say, I have, learned, I, have, I have learned more not to be unclear. Maybe before I took too much responsibility for other people's feelings. So I wasn't as direct or clear as I had to be to actually save their feelings and, and, and make them feel good about whatever decision or whatever message we had to put across. So this is also something that I learned. But I think that is also easier as the whole challenge and the way that we develop our business is becoming clearer. We are becoming clearer. We are growing into a completely new type of maturity in the organization and in our leaderships. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Maria, maybe your side of the story. Oh, yes. 
Uh, I I think the biggest unlearning for me coming from a research um, background is that things don't have to be perfect, and also that you you need to not do things. You have to be able to say no in order to and focusing. Uh, means saying no to a lot of things that you, you, if you have limited resources, you have to focus. You have to say, we can only do one of the 10 things we want, which is this one thing. And then you have to live with nine things not being done. And that can be very painful, especially when in a team where, where if number five is Caroline's favorite, then, then we're going to have some tough discussions. And I think it's number three. So. This focusing and realizing, okay, we don't have unlimited resources. We really have to choose and we have to be brutal about our prioritization sometimes. And, and sometimes I have to abandon things that I think are really, really important because something else is more important than what I feel. And that has been an unlearning journey for me to be okay with saying, no, we can't do that. And Caroline can tell you that <laughs> for a year, I think my common phrase was no that's not in the mvp that is not what we're doing now we're doing this and only this first then we can do all of the other things and that's been that's been hard because i'm i want i want everyone around me to be happy about what we do and and then you when they come with a nice new feature of course i part of me wants to say yes of course that's a lovely feature let's add it but then that's not going to work we really have to prioritize and, and choose so for me, that has been to be okay with this saying no to things and uh, just focusing on one thing at a time and say, okay, let's do this. Now we're doing this. And then we finished that. We evaluate it. We test it. We make sure that it's as it should be. And then we move on to the next thing. That's been really hard. And, and you can see it also when new team members come in. You have So many of us have this pattern of, of wanting to do at least five things at the same time. They keep five thing, tasks open and work a little here and a little there. And they're sort of waiting for them all to be perfect. And that's never going to happen. <laughs> you just have to finish things as well. Yeah, that's true. Thanks a lot for sharing this. I think these are really perfect unlearnings. And some of these actually get repeated. I'm seeing a common thread across other episodes. And as, as one says that devil is in the details, I believe in an entrepreneur or a business developer journey, these smaller things, the finer things, is what ends up differentiating between whether you have a successful venture or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Thanks a lot for having this engaging discussion here, uh, Maria and Caroline. As we come close to it as a company, Adresia, do you have anything that you would like to share with the market through this podcast? Yes, I think it would be really nice to share that we are hiring at the moment on the business development and delivery organization side, but also in our development teams. And as you hear, it's a very diverse, it's a very fun workplace where you have the opportunity to really make systemic social change for the better. And um, yeah, it's definitely a great opportunity to to join us. So you can check it out on addressa.com forward slash jobs. Uh, where you see all the positions that are available at the moment. Wow, that's great. You know, so in these present times, as we know, not only you're helping with the solution for those countries, people, 4 billion people not having an address, but now coming up and creating positions for people to get jobs and Mm. come in and bring their ideas. So that's really nice you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing that. I will put those on the episode notes also. 
That's great. Yeah. So thank you for coming here, Caroline and Maria, today for this session. It's really wonderful for me to speak to both of you. First time I am doing. <laughs> I hope you had a good session, and I am sure the listeners would benefit from this discussion, have some food for thought for themselves, and they could connect with you and engage with you later. I will provide your contact information in the episode notes. Thank you. That's great. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Maria and Caroline. Have a nice day ahead and keep continuing your business address here and continue to solve this problem. And I hope this 4 billion number keeps coming much sooner, faster to zero. Yes, we hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. 4 billion people, meaning every other person in this world, does not have an address. Did you know that before? I did not. Caroline and Maria have such a wonderful purpose for their business, which also leverages diversity to gain competitive advantage. Hope you could gain some ideas, inspirations or food for thought from this episode to help you towards your own journey of developing your business now or in the near future. Do give me a high five if you like this episode. I would also love to hear your feedback and suggestions for improvement. You have multiple channels to do so. LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram or email me directly. My contact information is provided in the episode notes. That's it for now. See you again in the next episode of the Business Developer Podcast. Stay happy, healthy, curious to learn. And are you leveraging diversity in your business? Think about that. Bye for now. <laughs>